The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 2:36 through 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kylie. Good morning. Hope you're well. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. Looking forward to this time with you all. We've been in this particular passage for a few weeks. You're like, wait, isn't this the same passage as last week and, and the week before? Um, yep, 100%. And the week before? Yep, yep, we're there. Um, we are not departing from this passage. We are in it day and night. Uh, we've been looking at the story of Anna and and the first week of Advent, the story of Simeon looking at this man and this woman that had a hunger for the presence of God and a hunger for the kingdom of God. And we've been considering how they responded to that hunger through these kind of practices in their life of orienting their life around the presence of God and things like prayer and fasting and worshiping and talking about Jesus with others. And so we're going to be there again this morning. Um, But as we've been doing that this uh, Advent season, what we're hoping as a church and what we've been kind of trying to cultivate as a church is this deeper sense of hunger for the presence of God. Um, Advent isn't supposed to be in the kind of like churchiest terms pre-Christmas. It's supposed to be the waiting season before Christmas. It's supposed to be this kind of like tension where there's a lack of resolution. There's this kind of dissonance that kind of continues to exist as we wait for the day of celebrating the arrival of Jesus, the coming of the King and his kingdom. And so we want to feel that dissonance in this season Not for the sake of depression, not for the sake of anxiety, but for the sake of longing. That it would cultivate in us longing for the presence of God, longing for deeper relational intimacy with Christ, and longing for the coming of his kingdom. And so one of the things we've been trying to do as a a church for the past several weeks, we've been talking about it even through the Exodus series, is just learning to slow down, to pay attention to the reality that God is here. Um, He's with us, he's present with us, and so we're going to ask him this morning um, to speak to us, but again, I want us to calm our hearts Um, As we look at his word, as we gather together, he's here, and he actually wants to speak to you um, in personal ways, uh, in significant ways. And so let's calm our hearts and prepare hearts for what he wants to say. Jesus, you said that you would never leave us. You said that you're with us always. And so we confess that to be true right now. Even though all around this room, there are probably uh, in us varying degrees of trust in that reality, varying degrees of kind of like awakeness to that reality. Um, Maybe those in here who have kind of not experienced the, the reality of your presence in their whole life, just not knowing what it means to relate to you, to have a real relationship with you. Others who maybe have, but have in the past season, maybe months or 
years or even decades have wandered from you. Uh, Maybe others that have been around churchy things, religious activity, but never known the reality of your presence, the power of your voice in their life, the depth of your love. Others who are, who are experiencing some degree of that, even today, that feel some joy. Maybe others who, like Anna in this story, have experienced deep pain and loss. And even in this season, celebration feels really hard, hard for them. And so we're praying into all of those spaces, into all of those journeys, into all of those lives, um, that you would powerfully speak this morning, um, that you would cry out to the men and women this, in this room that they would see you, that they'd know something of your love for them, that they know that you are their creator, their maker, their redeemer, their rescuer, that you are the giver of life and of rest and of security and of hope and of forgiveness and of healing, um, that you are our, our salvation. You are, Jesus, God with us. And so we pray that you would open our eyes to that reality and that you'd speak in power this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, At the very heart of Christmas is God's mission to reconcile humanity to his presence. That's the very heart of what Christmas is. It's God is on a mission, has been on a mission since kind of Genesis 3, but since the beginning of time when humanity, just like you and I have all done in our little stories, humanity in the long story of this world, we've turned away from his presence, tried to make life on our own, and God has been on a mission to restore us, to reconcile us to his presence. And so we've been talking as a people, what does that mean for us as we gather together weekly? It doesn't just mean like sing some songs and then kind of continue to live our lives ignoring his presence, but what does it mean to actually orient the very fabric of our lives around the fact that God is with us, that we have through Jesus the opportunity to be in relationship with the God of the universe. And that's essentially it's Christianity 101. It really is Christmas 101, but it can be easily lost. I mean, I think about right now in the season how easy it is to kind of have the, the decor of Christmas surrounding our lives. In your home, surely, in the office, and at kind of, you know, starting in October, all the decor for Christmas is up, you know, at Home Depot and Target or wherever you go. Um, it's up. The decor's up, and the music's up, and the festivities are up, and the cookies are made, and the candies are there, and the tree is there, and the ornaments are up, and the sweaters are out, and it's real Christmassy, and the question is, is Jesus in it? I mean, are we, are we creating space to actually relate to Jesus in the season where we celebrate his invasion into our lives? Are we creating space in our lives to actually experience the reality of the presence of God in a season where we have the kind of decor of Jesus all around us, but maybe even in the frenetic pace of life, the hurried pace of life, no real space to pay attention to his presence. And so we've considered for the past few weeks in this Advent season, essentially what we've been trying to do is look at the life of Anna for the past few weeks and Simeon earlier. We'll look at Simeon again on Christmas Eve and look at the life of this man and woman who were longing for the coming of the Christ, the coming of this king, that God would come and dwell among us, that he'd bring his kingdom. And they were not okay with life without the presence of God. They were discontent with life apart from the presence of God. And that discontent wasn't this kind of like evil, sinful discontent. It was a sense of we need the Christ to come. We need God to come. We need him to make all things new and rescue us and redeem us. You think about Simeon, this 
this man who had been in the temple and serving in the temple and he had been filled up with the Spirit and God had told him that he wouldn't die before the Christ would come. And he was longing, longing, anticipating, come Lord Jesus, come. And then Anna, this person who had been a widow for 84 years, a very, very old woman at this point who had experienced a very painful situational life, like the situation of her life. And that culture and that society and that economy, to be a widow in that, in that kind of environment, on top of the grief of having lost a husband, on top of the grief of holidays without spouses, which many people in here, you feel grief of holidays without loved ones. She felt that kind of thing, every festival, every kind of ritual, everything, this kind of grief and this pain. And the way that she responded to that dissonance wasn't to numb herself with Netflix. It wasn't to kind of like smoke weed to kind of take the edge off. It wasn't to kind of like do the nightly nightcap times three to kind of like subdue it. It was to stay near to God constantly. Miguel used the phrase last week, this idea of Anna being tethered to the temple, that she was actually saying the presence of God is my only good. The nearness of, my, of God, in the words of the psalmist, is my only good. And so she didn't depart from the temple. She'd go to the temple every day and pray and worship and fast and long for God and orient her life around the presence of God. And so we saw this last week where the temple itself it isn't this kind of like building. It's not like, hey, you should come to church all the time, though we're glad you're here. Um, thanks for coming. But that's not the like point of come to the temple. The temple is kind of after the death of Christ, he shed his blood. His blood is cleansing us that you and I, human beings, could be filled up with the presence of God. That we actually are the temple. That God is with us. He's with you right now. He'll be with you out the door. He'll be with you at your Christmas lunches on Sunday. He'll be with you in the kind of lonely parts of life and the painful parts of life and the joyful parts of life. The question we've been asking is, what does it mean to pay attention to his presence? In the actual rhythms of your life, and so for Anna, what that was is staying near to the presence of God in these kind of rhythms or these practices of prayer and fasting. That she was using these tools, these rituals, these practices, actual behaviors in her life of regularly throughout the day, going before God, praying and fasting to cultivate a deeper hunger for him, to grow in her love for him, and to pursue him in the fabric of her life. That meant something for her day. And so what we've been burdened with, just even in leadership, thinking about what does it mean to help as a church, this mission we have, we want to worship Jesus and we want to help people learn how to follow him, what it means to follow him. If we gather together on Sundays and worship Jesus and get excited about Jesus and walk out into the fabric of our lives and not relating to him and walking with him and orienting our lives around him, then we're experiencing kind of like a, a massively kind of reduced version of what it means to be reconciled to God and we're settling on kind of the kind of temporary, trivial, finite, temporal aspects of fulfillment that we're chasing after instead of experiencing the fullness of God that he has for us. And so we've looked at practices like daily prayer. What does it mean throughout the day to create space in time, like temporal space, like you're going to create 15 minutes in the morning or 30 minutes in the morning or five minutes at lunchtime and 20 minutes in the evening or something like that, whatever works for you, to say, I'm going to slow down and just pay attention to the fact that God is, is with me. And the goal of all that is not to give duty, it's not to give these kind of like obligations, or it's not to be a you ought to. It's supposed to be an invitation into a relationship. And that's what it's all about. So God wanting to actually be in relationship with you. Now the relationship phrase is, is tricky because in most of our relationships, in any healthy relationship, 
there's like conversation. If you think, hey, I want to get to know you, we're going to get together and we're going to get coffee and we're going to go back and forth and we're going to talk about things. And if you get together with somebody and it's like one-sided conversation, we call that therapy and uh, you have to pay for it because nobody's going to be your friend if that's like your thing, right? Unless, like I'm a bit of a talker, um, in case you didn't know that, like a verbal processor, an over-talker, an over-analyzer. So like I definitely have had those times where like, man, I'm It's a bit of a monologue. And normally, I don't realize that. I have to be reminded of that by good friends um, or people that are covenantally committed to me and uh, and committed to being friends with me, hypothetically, who have to remind me, like, is this a conversation or is this this you preaching? You know, I'm like, oh. Um, That's like, that's not healthy, right? It's not healthy. You all have that person that when you call them, like, they call you or you call them and it's like, incessant about themselves, not, not a question, not a how are you, how about you, just kind of go, 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 and then, well, got to go, and you're like, is this a relationship, or is this one-sided? And the question, the reason why I bring that up is because I think a lot of us treat our relationship with God like that. Like our engagement with him is when we need something, we call him up and we tell him the things we need, and then we kind of like walk back away from him, and, and the question we've been asking as a church is like, what does it mean to actually have a genuine relationship with God where there's two-way communication. And really, prayer is designed to be that. Prayer is designed to be not merely letting requests be made known to God, but it's supposed to be relational communion. So it's supposed to be time together with God. A God who is personal, who cares about you, and who actually has things to say to you. And the question I have to ask and that we have to ask is, are we creating space in our life to listen Not merely to talk, not merely to pray, not merely to read scripture, though reading scripture is an aspect of listening, but you can read scripture as as a kind of like analyzer of the Bible or a theology textbook or an interesting history book and not ever read scripture as God wanting to speak to you, the Holy Spirit speaking to you. But also what does it mean just to slow down and listen? And what can we do in this life to kind of interrupt our monologue-oriented relationship with God? Is there a practice in this life? Is there some way, is there something we can do to kind of like interrupt that kind of, that very ordinary, very common approach to God where we tell him things and then we kind of like leave again until we need him again? And the practice that kind of we see aspects of here, even in the life of Anna and Simeon, we see throughout scripture and also we see throughout history is this practice of listening prayer. Call it listening prayer. It's a made-up term that just says when you're with God, what does it mean to slow down and listen? What does it mean to slow down and listen? Now, some of you have grown up in traditions where listening prayer is a kind of part of the fabric of your life, like slowing down. God, what are you saying to me? What do you want to be speaking to me? Some of you grew up in traditions where like that feels weird and even the phrase itself is kind of like, you know, like are they kind of a weird church that does weird things like uh, where the Holy Spirit told me to say this to you? Yes, Um, we are. And now there's huge abuses of that. There's major ways that that has been painful. There's ways that that's been unhealthy. Just like there are major ways that things like preaching can be done for selfish ambition, can be done in really unhealthy ways. Serving people and caring for people can be done with selfish motives. You can do serving activities to do something for yourself in really unhealthy ways. There's ways to damage people when we become self-absorbed and selfish and all sorts of different kind of good things. And the idea of like listening to what the Holy Spirit might be wanting to say to you or, or what the Spirit might be wanting to say through you to somebody else 
is a part of the story of the Bible from start to finish. God, who made the world and made communication, he speaks. And the question is, do we create space in our life to listen? And so I want to just kind of hit a couple questions that I think kind of are raised in this as we kind of consider what, what does that look like? But at the heart of all of it is not, it's not trying to be weird. It's trying to say, what does it mean for us to grow in the way we, we relate to God and put his presence, his relational presence at the center of our daily lives? That he wants to commune with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to relate to you in your daily life, and and how do we do that? And so the question that I want to start with is like, does God still speak? Does he still speak? Because there are different opinions about that within Christianity. Does he still speak? Um, We see him speaking all over the Christmas story, and that's why we kind of honed in on this. Um, Anna herself is a prophetess, which like is, feels like if you're not from any sort of like charismatic background, it's like, all right, that either feels like an Old Testament character or a really weird person with crazy eyes today, right? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? The kind of like, oh, I'm a prophet. You're like, oh, you know, just like, just backing away, like moving away. I've, I've had interactions with people that were prophets that I'm just like, man, I don't know if it's real or not, but you terrify me. And so it's kind of like, no thanks. Um, there, there are situations that are, are like that, but is, is this kind of Ability to hear from God on behalf of others and to share kind of like insights into what God's doing. Is that a, is that a real thing? Or, or Simeon in the passage before. Simeon has experienced God, the Holy Spirit, telling him certain things about what to expect in life. Saying, hey, as you're longing for the coming kingdom, he encourages Simeon with this truth. Before you die, you'll see the coming of the Christ. And that gave Simeon something to hang on to. It built his faith, and he was able to strengthen the faith of others. You saw it with Zechariah. Zechariah has an experience with an angel of the Lord earlier in the story of Luke, in the Christmas story. In the Christmas story, there the Lord's speaking to Mary through angels, and Joseph through angels, and wise men through angels, and people are having these inclinations to not go in certain directions and go in other directions. Where's all that coming from? It's coming from the God who's speaking. He's leading. And you're like, well, that's, that's Christmas. That was like a pretty pivotal time in the story of God. It makes sense that God would speak then. All right. Well, then Jesus said, before he died, he said, I'm, I'm going to be going away. And it's actually really good for you all that I go away. Like, how is that good? I wish I could sit down and talk with Jesus and have a meal and go fishing with him and kind of go on a journey and go for a long walk with him like the disciples. That feels like that would be great. And Jesus is like, what's about to happen is better. It's actually, in John 16, he said, advantageous for you. It's advantageous for you that I go away because I'm going to give you my actual presence, not in just like a bodily form that's with you for a couple hours and goes away and you're going to go to sleep at night and I'm going to go to sleep somewhere else and I'm going to go on a journey here and I'm going to send you on a journey there and you're going to come back and tell me. My spirit, my Holy Spirit, is going to reside within you that you could talk to me anytime. And not merely can you talk to me and express things to me, but my spirit in you can speak and guide and direct you. Which is why throughout the rest of the whole New Testament, this idea of like walking in step with the Holy Spirit and paying attention to the movement of the Holy Spirit is a central theme all throughout the Bible. And you see it happen. When Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed and his body was torn, it says that the temple and the curtain was torn in two. And it was emphasizing this, uh, this kind of reality that the glory of God isn't contained in this geographic space. It's now pouring out into all who trust in the blood of the Lamb. All who turn to Jesus, who are cleansed through his death, who trust in him. He died for me. He died for my sin. He paid my debt. He forgave me. He's washed me. It says the, the glory of God, the presence of God, the Spirit of God dwells within them. 
dwells within you, that he's in you, just like he's in the temple. So Simeon would come to the temple and God would interact with Simeon. Anna would come to the temple and God would interact with Anna. Zechariah would come to the temple and God would interact with Zechariah. These people would come to the temple and God would interact with them. And Jesus is saying, you're going to be the temple. You can interact with me all the time. All the time. But you have to engage in it. You can also ignore his presence. You can push away from his presence. And so he dies on the cross and he rose again. And he had told his disciples that he's going to send the Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, you see a really powerful scene where the Spirit of God is poured out for the first time. And all the followers of Jesus are filled up with the presence of God. And they start telling everybody about Jesus. And they're telling people about Jesus in languages they've never learned. And it's this powerful scene. And Peter gets up and he, and he explains what's happening to the people by saying, what's happening right now is the fulfillment of what the people of God have been waiting for, for generations. And he says this in Acts chapter 2. And this is the Spirit of God has just been poured out and he's making sense of it. What's happening? What's, What's this experience where these people are filled up with joy and telling people about Jesus? And here's what he said. He said, this is what was uttered. What's happening right now is what the prophet Joel said. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And even on male and my male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. Um, there are tons of passages in the Old Testament that say when the spirit of God comes upon people, The whole concept is God himself has taken home with them that they can know him and be known by him. They can have actual, real, genuine, personal relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. That is stunning. Where people go on journeys to visit the temple, the glory of God that was in the temple to draw near, to to come near and make sacrifices, to get near to God, saying that glory, that presence of God is in you right now. And... He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. And you see this kind of work itself out all throughout the rest of Acts. Like, so another question is, all right, then then how does he speak? How does that happen? And you see it through the story of Acts in some pretty powerful ways. He speaks very directly to people in a number of places in Acts. One of them is Acts 8.29, where there's a guy named Philip who's of a Jesus follower, and he's going on a journey. And there's another guy who's an Ethiopian, and he's contemplating uh, kind of, He's reading an Old Testament scroll, Isaiah, and he's, God's doing stuff in his life. Philip knows nothing of it. And Philip's on a journey, and he's kind of near this Ethiopian, and the Holy Spirit says something to Philip, Acts 8, 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. The Holy Spirit just told Philip, there's a guy, this Ethiopian man over here. I'm doing something in his life, and I'd like for you to go join his chariot and to walk with him to help him see Jesus in Isaiah. And Philip obeyed the movement of the Spirit, hopped in the chariot with the Ethiopian, talked to him about Jesus. Guy got baptized right there, changed his life powerfully. And he was responding to the voice of the Holy Spirit. In other places, the Holy Spirit speaking to Peter in really powerful and bizarre images in places like Acts 10 and 11. In Acts 13, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. There's a group of people that are fasting and praying. And they're praying, God, what do you want us to do in this world? And what do you want us to do as a church? And we're here and we want to serve you and we want to follow you. It says, while they were fasting and praying, Acts 13, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. He spoke to them. Very, very verbally and audibly, you're like, well, does he still do that? 
Who said he doesn't? That's just, just who said he doesn't? And I think the reality that many of us have not experienced things like that doesn't mean that that doesn't happen. Because he speaks in other ways. He speaks through prophetic words to people. Um, in Acts 11, there is a famine happening or is about to happen. And God had revealed the reality of this coming famine to a prophet named Agabus. said, now in those days, a prophet came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and he foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. There's going to be a huge famine. God had revealed that to a guy named Agabus. Agabus then went and shared that. The Holy Spirit's revealed to me that a famine's coming. And that was able to mobilize a ton of Christians to organize a massive famine relief effort to kind of bring money from all these other churches to support those who are experiencing kind of the, the brunt of this famine in Jerusalem, which is also a way that churches continue to get planted through this kind of missionary movement. So he speaks through prophetic words. He speaks through visions and dreams. There's another story in Acts where Paul's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And on his way there, uh, another prophet has this experience of uh, this kind of vision of Paul getting bound up in his hands and his legs. And he goes to Paul with a belt around his hands and his legs. And he puts it around. He says, this is what's going to happen to you when you go to Jerusalem. Therefore, don't go. And Paul takes that vision and dream and actually receives the reality of it. Okay, I believe that that's what the Lord's told you, that that's what's going to happen when I go to Jerusalem. But, but I think the way I'm going to respond to that is different than you think. I think that means I'm going to go and the Lord is preparing me for a suffering that's going to take place so that when it happens, I don't think, what the heck, God, are you abandoning, abandoning me? When he got bound up in Jerusalem, just like the prophet had said, he knew this is already, this is what the Lord had told him. There are other moments where the Holy Spirit is leading in these kind of like nonverbal, non-clear, non-profound kind of like thoughts and impressions. And there's a point where Paul's planning on going in certain directions and the Holy Spirit's forbidding him from going in those ways. It doesn't say he told me I can't. It's just like something didn't feel good about it. And he felt the Spirit was involved. I'm sure there's fasting and prayer about, God, is this real? What are you doing? I can't go that direction, so I'm going to go this direction instead. The Holy Spirit constrained him to go to Jerusalem, even when it, he knew there was going to be a difficult time. Like the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding in these various ways. These things happen all over the book of Acts. And, and we kind of have this sense of, or some people do, I grew up in a tradition that says that was just the book of Acts. It doesn't happen anymore, which is interesting just because I can't find it anywhere in the Bible where it said it doesn't happen anymore. In fact, there are lots of humans throughout history who have experienced things like this in pretty powerful and profound ways. It doesn't mean everybody would experience it the same way. But the question I've been asking is, do we ever slow down enough and ask him to speak? So the way that Paul will talk about things like this, he says, we should earnestly desire these things. We should like lean into them and absolutely test them and absolutely look at scripture and absolutely pay attention to kind of like whether or not this is something that seems like connected to the character of God, resonating with the character of God. Is it consistent with the revealed word of God and scripture, which God has said a lot of stuff. This is again, it's alive. This isn't like Enuma Elish, which is a Babylonian cosmology that you could read and learn some history about. This isn't like the hieroglyphics on the Egyptian pyramids. This isn't like an old historical document that's like fascinating. It's God's word. It's alive. It's living. It pierces our hearts and brings transformation and conviction. The Holy Spirit's spoken a ton of stuff. In fact, one of the main the Holy Spirit said is Scripture. And so just absorbing this book and reading it, like how does he speak? He speaks through Scripture. 
He speaks through words. He speaks through dreams. He speaks through visions. He speaks through thoughts. He speaks through impressions. He speaks through images. He speaks through other people. And I, and I grew up with a real, having a real hard time with that. It was hard for me. I'd rather like study this book and be like, this feels tight and controllable. And I'd just rather be good with this because I hear people saying weird stuff about God said this and it feels hurtful and bizarre and hard. And then you start reading the Bible and, and God gives some really healthy ways to engage with his voice in this world. Um, in my own journey, it wasn't until maybe about four years ago or so that I had just like begun to hear God in different ways. And it wasn't like, I really want to hear your voice, God. I really want to hear your voice. It was God breaking into a really calloused, cold heart for me. That I had been ignoring his presence while being a pastor, like just doing a lot, doing the whole like Martha thing, like busy and anxious, getting a lot of stuff done for Jesus, but never slowing down to be with him. And I felt that reality. And it was really hard for me to even know what it meant to relate to him. It was four years ago or so, I was in, kind of like, felt the spiritual unhealth of my life. And uh, just got a way to like try to relate to Jesus, try to like come back to him and be like, my heart's in a weird spot. I'm so weary and worn down. And I uh, went to Golden. Again, I've, I've talked about this a, a few years back, but like found a space by a river where God speaks more clearly on little spaces by quiet streams. You know, that's a, like Christianity 101. You know, that's why we live in Colorado. God speaks more loudly in Colorado. So you go out to the mountains, and I'm by a river in Golden, and it took me forever. I like, couldn't relate to him. I couldn't, I just like, it just felt like out of nowhere. He was just like, gave a scripture reference that felt out of the blue to me. It felt bizarre to me. Like, I don't even know what's at that part in scripture. And if, I had never experienced anything like that. And so I kind of like, that's weird. That's just my brain. But my brain doesn't even know what's in that part of the Bible. Like, I can't even remember what's happening in 1 Samuel 6, 7, 8, and 9. I was just like, 2 Samuel 6, 7, 8, and 9, that's like, you know, that's Davidic covenant stuff. I'm all over that. Sick First Samuel? I'm like, all right. So I just open up my Bible and start reading. And the story of Saul that takes place kind of in those chapters and moving forward just destroyed me about this attempt to kind of like do things for God and, and do things for God's people with, while ignoring his presence and the destructive pattern of Saul and what that led to in his life. And I felt like the Lord said really powerfully, Son, this is your trajectory. Turn to me. And then it was like the rest of the day, and I had never experienced this in my whole life. It was like scripture reference after scripture reference. Just not, not like ideas, more like turn here, turn here. And it was just like walking me through the Bible, leading me to like confess things to him and repent and pray and reminding me of his forgiveness and his love. And it was like this day of him like walking me through stuff. And it was powerful. And it was the beginning of like me saying, oh man, he speaks in ways I've never paid attention to. And that's happened in a few different scenarios throughout the rest of my life, but it's like there are some huge ones like that that feel really significant and pivotal in my life. But then there's just the kind of wake up in the morning and spend time with Jesus and create a few minutes to be silent and just conviction about the way I treated my kids. Walk out of a meeting and sit down in my office and just some conviction about, man, I really was trying to manipulate that scenario and I need to go back and ask that person for forgiveness. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. Or a person that kind of like, the kind of old school phrase is like, the Lord puts you on my heart. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. That God would put somebody on your heart to pray for or to encourage or to send something to. The question is, are we creating space in our days to listen? God, what, what might you want to say to me? Maybe it's just, hey, son, daughter, I know you're stressed out. I love you. 
I know you're scared about what's about to happen. I'm not going to leave you. I know you're weary. I want you to come to me. I know you've been running in this direction. That's not going to give you life. Turn back to me. Right? The kind of the conviction to turn to Jesus, the, the words of encouragement, the reminders of his love, it's happening all throughout the Bible. Even a huge kind of theme throughout the Bible of what the Spirit's doing is actually kind of resonating in our hearts that we are children of God, reminding us of the love of the Father. It's the Spirit doing that. The Father loves you. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. The Spirit's doing that. And the Spirit will also like work in you for other people to slow down and listen. I've seen this happen a ton of, there's a couple people in this church that have like lasers into my soul. It's terrifying. And I'm really grateful most of the time. And sometimes those lasers really hurt. But it's like, hey, this week I was praying for you and the Lord put this on my heart. And it's like so powerful, so pointed, so piercing and exactly what I need. And there are times where I get that kind of like word from somebody. That's courageous to send that. And that's a hard thing to do to say, hey, I'm not sure. I feel like, I feel like the Lord was, as I was praying for you, this passage and this thought or this word was coming to mind. And, and there are times where I read it. And I'm like, eh, that's like, man, that's, that feels good. But it's encouraging or that's interesting. I don't know what that means. And it's like two weeks later, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, are you kidding me? Because the Lord had prepared something there that when I experienced something over here, these things are happening all the time. And the question is, do we create space to listen? Listen. And what that can look like is just taking some time. As you're spending time with Jesus, don't treat it as study the Bible and ask him for things time. Treat it as, treat it as communion, as I'm going to sit down and be with Jesus, which means I'm going to spend time in his word. I'm going to listen, God, what are you saying to me through the word or through other things? Are there things you want to convict me about? Are there things you want to remind me of? Is there somebody you want me to pray for? And just to believe he can speak into those places. Sometimes it's silent and it feels empty. And sometimes it's empty. And sometimes that's because the Lord's calling us to wait on certain things. Like he's not come in his fullness yet. We're still waiting for the day when he comes and makes all things new. There's like limiting factors to this. Sometimes it's because there's stuff we're hanging on to in our life. There's unconfessed sin. There's bitterness we've been holding on to. There's ways the Lord has spoken to us in the past and we've suppressed his voice from us in the past that we've never like thought about. And those things can all mute and muffle his voice in your life. It doesn't mean if you're not hearing something, there's something wrong necessarily. But when you're kind of feeling like, man, I just feel crickets. This morning we do, we do listening prayer before our Sunday gatherings every Sunday. This morning we're doing it and Joel's playing this music. And I'm sitting there. It's like a really beautiful moment. And I totally fell asleep. <laughs> I just, I totally fell asleep during listening prayer. And I'm like, thanks for the nap, Jesus. You know, like, uh, he loves us. It's not about a burden. It's not about expectations. Just slowing down and saying, is there something you want to say? And it's a practice that needs to be cultivated. It's a practice, practice that needs to be, like, kind of leaned into. And so the question that I, I kind of want to, us to, like, think about is, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, not to give you a ticket to heaven, not to kind of like, you know, get rid of your guilt and shame so that you can kind of do your own thing in the world. It does remove guilt and shame, his death for you. It does give you access to be with God forever, but it also gives you access to be with God right now. That Christmas is about what God is doing to reconcile you to God's presence, to relate to him as a son or a daughter, to converse with him, to hear from him, to speak to him, to learn from his word and to ask him for things, but also to let him speak into your life in ways that can be scary for people. And you might be in a different place in your own journey where that feels hard. There might be some stuff that we have to chat about to like talk through like, man, when you hear this, you, you kind of hear other things because of your own experience. I get that. And yet it's a really beautiful practice 
that allows us to deepen our relationship with Jesus while we wait for him to come again and make all things new. So we're going to take a moment right now and listen. And so what I want to encourage you to do is uh, just kind of calm your heart. God is here. He's been here all morning. He'll be here when you leave. But what does it mean right now to say to him, um, I'm here, Jesus, and I want, I want to open myself up to the fact that you might want to say something to me. What might Jesus want to say to you? What might he want to say to you? And so I'm going to kind of lead us through um, just some questions that you can ask and just create some silence just to be asking God what he wants to speak into your life right now. And then we'll respond in song. Um, Jesus, we, um, we're right now here. We're, we are your people. You are our king, but you're also present and uh, near and close. You tell us, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And so I pray that you'd help us right now to do that. I also acknowledge, I, I think there are some people in this room um, that don't know you at all yet. So I pray you'd speak to them in powerful ways that you would cry out to them. To turn to you for life and love. There are those who have been wandering. And so even, even now as we calm our hearts, I want to encourage you to ask God, is there, is there anything you would want to say to me? It could be scripture or an image or a person or conviction about something. God, is there anything you want to say to me? And just, and just listen.
possible for some just mind is too busy right now. There's burdens and anxieties and weight that's just feels like it clouds everything right now, every idle moment. Um, Just to even be honest with God about that, just to be like, I want to slow down to hear your voice, but it's like my, I can't, I can't, I need help. I need help. Just to even, maybe even imagine just taking that burden, that anxiety, and what does it mean to just give that to Jesus and say, I need you to carry this. I can't carry this to kind of cast that anxiety on him, knowing that he cares for you. And as you feel things, even just to to be able to write them down, maybe come back and think about it later, maybe it's a word or a phrase. It's also times where it feels like there are accusing voices that are right there in the silence. Those aren't the voice of God. God's voice isn't accusing. It's not condemning. It's not shameful. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. His voice is full of patience and kindness. His voice is good and there's control and there's faithfulness in it. another question is, God, how do you want me to respond? How do you want me to respond to your love? How do you want me to respond to this conviction about these things I've been turning to? How do you want me to respond to this burden for this person that's just like on my heart right now? How do you want me to respond? Do I want me to shoot them a text today or send them a card or give them a call or set up a time to chat? How do you want me to respond to this burden over this scenario? How do you want me to respond to the the presence of anxiety? It's making it even hard to listen. God, you're with us. Would you keep speaking to us even as we walk throughout our days. Help us to be a, a congregation of people, a community of people that are praying without ceasing, that are walking in step with your spirit, that are attentive to your presence, and that slow down to listen, that we wouldn't be too hurried, too rushed to listen to your voice.